This is Leah Jones, Director of Financial Planning at Hightower Bethesda. Thanks for joining me today as I explore topics that I hope arm you with the ability to make smart financial decisions. My guest today is Robin Smith. Robin has a captivating background. She is a woman pioneer in the film industry and started Video Action, a non-for-profit dedicated to providing voices for those who are rarely heard. She recently celebrated her company's 30th year in business. Today, she is going to tell us about her story, lessons learned along the way, and a little bit about her second act. Every true entrepreneur has a second act. With that, Robin, tell me about your journey to becoming an entrepreneur and taking a leap of faith at the age of 40. Wow, that's a, that's a great place to begin. First of all, thank you for inviting me to sit in this chair and, and to be talking with you. I am a documentary filmmaker, and I first studied graphic design and graduated in 1972 and went to London and worked as a graphic designer and then went back to film school. And when I was at film school, I did a film about my father who was missing in action in Vietnam. And I knew it would just sort of be a very personal film. But I purchased some footage from CBS News in the course of making my personal film. And lo and behold, they offered me a job. And before I knew it, I was living in New York City and working for this incredible show on CBS News called Sunday Morning. And what it did is allow me to know that this passion that I had for documentary storytelling could be satisfied by producing shorter pieces. I didn't have to spend three years and raise half a million dollars to do a film. I could actually get the same satisfaction by doing an eight-minute story that would take me maybe six weeks to produce. This was an incredible gift to suddenly be offered a job at CBS News on the show called Sunday Morning, just when it was being created. And while I was there, I realized another thing. I realized that when we would tell a story about a not-for-profit organization that was doing incredible things, and we put all of CBS's news' resources you know, into the creation of that story, the organization itself at that time would make a VHS copy of this piece that aired on television, and they would use it in many ways. They'd use it to leverage money, to leverage public awareness and support. And I, I just kind of took note of that. And it, it also struck me as what a shame that not everybody who needed such a video done about them could be recognized by Charles Cabalt, you know, and invited to have their story told on television. So after a, about a decade of working in New York for CBS News Sunday Morning, I moved to Washington, D.C. to be with the man who eventually became my husband. And in the course of doing that, I had to reinvent myself. And I remembered this incredible work that was being done by not-for-profit organizations and how grateful they were when I would arrive and help tell their stories. I thought, you know what? I'm going to create a company. 
And this company is going to allow me to do the kind of work that I was doing for CBS News directly for the not-for-profit who needs it. And I'm going to set my company up as a not-for-profit so that I can take charitable contributions and be eligible for grants. And also, you know, when you are a not-for-profit and working with other nonprofits, you kind of get it, right? You understand what they're going through. And so at the age of 40, I set up a company that I call Video Action, incorporated it, did all the paperwork to get status as a 501c3, and embarked on what has now been a 30-year business of producing films to help people whose voices aren't being heard have their stories told. Now, I love, I love, Robin, that you were working for the private sector and you had the resources that the private sector, you know, affords. And at that time, you identified that there were a lot of people being underserved, not having those same resources, yet their messages were equally important. So, you know, I think that that planted the seed and I'm sure Absolutely. there are probably people listening to this call that have had a similar thought that work for a private industry. My question to you is in this instance, it's hard, right? Because private companies pay better. Private companies have more resources. So talk us through how, if you do have this great idea, you want to serve these people that have voices that are not being heard how do you make that transition from private sector to non-for-profit? Well, I think it was a blessing for me that I was totally ignorant of what I needed to do. I allowed the fact that I had this passion to do this work to guide me. And, you know, it took me about five years to really get into the groove and go, oh, hmm, I need to find money in order to tell the story. I can't just like go out and do it, right? And so, you know, I started Video Action with no business plan, no five-year plan as most people should do. But my five-year plan was learned on the job. And I was a pretty quick study because I, again, I was driven by the passion. This is the work that I want to do. And my ears were always open for any opportunity that would come my way. I'll give you an example. So the very first project that I took on was about a not-for-profit that was just getting started that was teaching homeless children how to use cameras. These are 35-millimeter cameras to tell their own story. And I, and I loved, I loved this effort. And I actually had done their story for the network. You know, so I, I was very familiar with it and had told part of the story, but they wanted a documentary. So I just started over the course of about 18 months hanging out with them and gathering footage and, you know, we'd find a little bit of money here, a little bit of money there. But then we learned that a museum wanted to showcase these incredible photographs that these children were taking. And when the museum decided to do that, we just jumped on them and said, you know what, 
we could have an incredible behind the scenes film, you know, that's going to tell the story of how these remarkable photographs were taken. And the museum said, that's a great idea. So they put the money up. It was $75,000. For me, starting this company was like an amazing amount of money, right? I mean, <laughs> yep. truly, the documentary storytelling world, $75,000 doesn't get you very far. But I was determined to make that go as far as it possibly could. So it was just you know, seeing an opportunity, seizing it, uh, learning how to craft a proposal and get other funding entities. In this case, it was a museum, but often it's foundations or getting individuals to contribute, you know, through a what today you would call a GoFundMe kind of a campaign. So it's, it's just learning how to do that. So here's the dirty little secret. The movement from for-profit, where somebody else is providing all the money, into not-for-profit, where I have to find all the money, I ended up doing not just one job, the job of a producer, I ended up doing all of the jobs, right? I'm the development person. I'm the one who is finding money. I'm the one that's making sure that past clients are really happy and maybe that they'll come back. And so it became three times as much work to be able to do the one thing that I wanted to do. I was okay with that, but it's something that if you really are thinking about taking the step that you really should be prepared for. I think a lot of business owners can identify with that comment too, because that's what happens, right? You take off the safety rails when it's just your own business. And now all of a sudden you're your own CFO, you're your own CEO, you're your own marketing staff. It's just, it's, it's a lot, but to have the perseverance, to keep going and to do all those things, whether you're good at them or not, you know, you, you know, you're really good at a few of them and the other ones, maybe you can get by. Uh, I think that's one thing that really separates entrepreneurs is because they have that confidence to figure it out. And I think one thing you said when, when we had spoke before, flexibility is a part of your DNA. So I love that because I think that's very true to being an entrepreneur. So I want to shift gears a little bit now that we talked about how you got started and talk a little bit about how has your journey evolved and what have you learned along the way? Well, that is a, that is a great question. And again, remember 30 years ago, I embarked on this with no five-year plan, let alone a 30-year plan, right? Uh, and so... <laughs> There, there was a lot of evolution along the way, and I just, I just went with it. I mean, the story I was going to tell before you sort of shifted the gears is kind of related. It was about five, maybe seven years into the company that I finally had enough projects that had been identified and money that was coming in that I actually could hire somebody to do the books. Another gift that you need to give yourself if you're an entrepreneur is to know what are those things that you really are good at and if if it's not something you're good at try to find somebody who can do it for you right and bring that person in and bookkeeping was something that was just driving me crazy 
So when I finally was able to hire a person to do this, my husband, when he met her, said, you saved my marriage. (laughs) (laughs) My inability to really grasp how to do the bookkeeping well and without spending so many hours on it it was very, very apparent to him. And he he saw the toll that that was taking on me. So, you know, I was able to hire somebody. I also along the way, because of the work that I was doing, and my work remains, you know, totally true to the social justice concepts that that started it, that I had this wonderful opportunity come my way. And it was uh, an opportunity to write a proposal to the government, to the Department of Justice, to get funding to help this little office called the Office for Victims of Crime to tell the story of five or six programs that they had seeded that were working really well and helping victims of crime. Perfect, perfect project for me. And so I learned how to write a government proposal and I got the money. And while I was there, I made sure that the Office for Victims of Crime knew that what I was bringing to the table was not exactly like what a typical production company would do. Typically, the companies say, what do you want? You know, what do you want? I'll do it. We'll do it like this. Typically, the company would write a script and then try to film all the things that needed to be filmed to stay in line with that script. Because I'm coming at this as a documentary filmmaker, I'm really interested in the process of talking to people, hearing what they have to say, recording these interviews, and then crafting out of that the script. So the script happens later in the process. And I showed them that this is just a really wonderful way to, number one, value your frontline workers who are doing this work that you want to celebrate, you know, and to create something that I call authentic voices. And so instead of having an expert who's saying, and then the Children's Advocacy Center moved into a bigger house, you have the advocates for the Children's Advocacy Center and the children who were benefiting from this incredible opportunity tell the story in their own words. So that example of how the product that I was creating is different from what one might get in the private sector allowed me to present myself to the Office for Victims of Crime as somebody that they really wanted to do business with. And so in 1998, we started a contract that is still with me today. And I have done over 500 productions with the Office for Victims of Crime, an incredible array of work, which constantly you know, allows me to learn more about you know, victims of human trafficking and the impact of DNA evidence and what is different within Native American communities. How are the needs different? What is alcohol-facilitated sexual assault? 
I mean, it, it just goes on and on and on. So it was uh, a great opportunity for me, right, to stay in graduate school and constantly be learning all these things. But I learned how to use the system. And I learned how to get my company, a not-for-profit production company, onto the GSA schedule. Who knew, right? I figured out how to do that. And once I was on the GSA schedule, then the Office for Victims of Crime and, and any government entity knew that I was already vetted as a good contractor and they could reach out to me and engage my services. So it was huge just in terms of providing video action with the kind of financial support that was needed so that I could do a, a high volume of work for the government, but also you know, have time and opportunity and the luxury of not having to find every single penny I needed for more philanthropic opportunities that would come along. So that, that was one really, really big lesson. The second thing is I knew that I loved mentoring and I knew that there were mentors along the way that had made such an impact in my life who had helped me to become the producer that I am. So one of the things I did as a not-for-profit production company was position video action as a place where emerging filmmakers, and these could be individuals who are just graduating from film school, or they could be social workers who after 20 years of working as an advocate really are interested in communications and want to get in, into the media, give them opportunities to come into video action, to literally be employed by us and to do real work, real work, and a lot of real work. And so I was taking chances with people who maybe didn't have all the skills that they needed in the beginning, but certainly had the passion and the desire. And so I could teach them the skills and I could unleash their passion. And to this day, I mean, there are dozens of independent filmmakers who have come through video action and who are doing this kind of work through their own company. I mean, I always said that I wanted video action to be like a spider plant. And you have to imagine a spider plant, right? It throws off little miniatures of itself and then those become additional plants. And that's what I've been able to do. <laughs> I absolutely love this message, Robin, because it starts with having a passion, identifying a problem, then moving on to a solution. And then once you take that leap of faith, pivoting to how do I survive? How do I make this a long-term scalable solution? And you were very creative there. You found you know, long-term work through the government, and then you created an incubator for aspiring creatives. And that allowed you to focus on the work and mentorship, which you loved doing. So I think that this is a great message. I want to also ask you, along kind of those notes, what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs? 
I think the advice would really be customized based on exactly where they are on their journey. And I talk often with individuals who are either still, you know, in film school and thinking that they want to like, you know, jump out and start something all by themselves. And those who are mid-career and want to change. I'm very good at listening and will listen very, very carefully to where that person is in his or her journey. And then I'm also good at helping individuals identify assets that they don't realize they actually have. This usually happens with people who are mid-career. They have no idea that they really are connected to a network of people that would be very interested in their providing the kind of service that it is they want to provide. Now, mind you, most of the individuals that I'm talking with are in media, right? So they're, they're creatives. And so it's helping them understand who has to be brought to the table in order for you to build your own company. And sometimes being on your own is not exactly where you should be. And maybe you need that opportunity just like I did. It was a happenstance thing for me, but it was a great opportunity when CBS News you know, hired me and, and a show called Sunday Morning was being created. And so that I was able to work within a structure, a structure where there was enough money and there were mentors and I was able to do my work. So, you know, it's not unusual for me to talk with somebody who's just getting out of college who goes, I'm going to start my own company to say, you know, maybe you want to give yourself some time working for somebody first, you know, before you do that. And then on the other end, you know, people who are working for somebody and just not as fulfilled as they want to be. I've been able to help a number of these individuals figure out how to start their own entrepreneurial effort at the same time that they still have the security, the financial security of a job. And there are ways that you can put that on a parallel track and then you get to a point where you can transition into your own company. I think that's great advice. I mean, someone's path to entrepreneurship is so uniquely defined and depending on their life experiences, it might make sense to jump in. It might make sense to take a step back and try something more traditional. So I think that that's a great message just to kind of listen to each person uniquely understand and then be able to give them guidance. Cause I, I do totally agree with you. It's not kind of a, a one size fits all type of situation. So I'm going to pivot here to your second act. And I have known you, Robin, for five years. And I know when we first met, you were very open to retirement. And over the past couple years, that's changed. And I would love for you to share with our listeners why. Thank you for that. I mean, uh, five years ago, I was 65 years old. And there were things happening within my family that 
were encouraging me to not be as busy in my office and to try to, you know, sort of downsize that, slow it down, spend more time at home and join my husband who was in retirement. And so I started down that path and I realized that I wasn't done, (laughs) that Mm -hmm. I wasn't really ready to stop engaging in this media that I love, engaging in the mentorship that I love. And I had a long conversation with my husband who was thoroughly enjoying being totally retired and said, (laughs) I have to put my foot back on the gas pedal. You know, I've created this company. Maybe I didn't know what it was going to be when I embarked upon it, you know, 30 years ago. I think that there's more that can be done. And very specifically, I know that 30 years ago, when I wanted to offer a service that wasn't being offered to the not-for-profit community, that there was nobody who was providing them really professional communication skills, right? To simply do a video about who they are. And so I was offering something quite unique. These days, there are a lot of people that are doing that, that one-off video, right, for the not-for-profit. And and the not-for-profits are getting very good about knowing how to tell their own story. But where I see a new need is in an area that I call impact producing. And this is a term that actually for me, grew out of my documentary filmmaking life. And that is you do a film about voter registration and it's a historic film that's set in the South in the 60s and it's quite beautiful and you're lucky and you get it on PBS and it's shown for four years. Well, that's not all that that film can do. That film, if in the right hands, can be used in schools. It can be used to help voter registration drives. It can be used in this whole variety of efforts that other people are engaged in. And in order for a filmmaker to get her or his film into the hands of people who can use it, you have to dedicate time to that. And Within the documentary filmmaking world, it's it's called hiring an impact producer. And it's usually, you know, people like to do it with an intern, right? And the intern will come in and will do all this kind of um, basic work of identifying partners for you. I believe that you really need your impact producer to be on board when you are conceiving of your documentary, when you are starting to work with a not-for-profit organization who is producing its very first video about what it's doing, so that the work that you're doing becomes far more dynamic. And the vehicle that a lot of impact producers use these days, of course, is the internet. And in a very benign way, Just establishing a website can get information out there 
so that people know your film is there. And it's sort of like a, a fancy brochure. But these days, when you think about the way that e-commerce is working, that online presence is interactive. And there is this constant dialogue going on between the store that's trying to sell you something, right? And you, who's madly in love with Lululemon tights or whatever it is. <laughs> I, I think we can take that model and we can apply it to social justice work and that it needs the services of a very small creative team. And of course, I want my team to be women who are graphic designers and, you know, they're pretty clever with the word and they understand strategies for building interest around an idea. And so I, I think there's this great opportunity right now for Video Action to offer this dynamic impact production service. And in order to do it, I got to get those those young kids, right, that are just coming out of film school or, or communications work at their universities to want to do this. And so Video Action is going to become an incubator again for not just individuals who want to produce that single beautiful video or film, but individuals that want to be engaged in media that has a dynamic component to it that is is using all the tools that are out there to really constantly be providing information collecting information and to be an agent for change robin i think that this is a phenomenal idea just as you have evolved with your business over the past 30 years have identified a need and you're right it's not just about videos anymore. It's about engagement. It's about anticipation, excitement, being connected to other people that share in that same social cause as you do. And the only way that you can do that is through all these different, you know, chat, events, blogs, podcasts, you know, you name it, all these different forms of media. So, and bringing that to other non-for-profits, I think is just a great idea, just how you identified this 30 years ago. So you have certainly made a tremendous impact as a producer and storyteller, and I am looking forward to your second act. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope that any of our listeners out there say to themselves, gee, that's something I really would like to do. I hope that we will be able to provide them a way to be in touch with me. Yes, I'm going to include a link to your website and anything else that you want me to along with this podcast so listeners can reach out to you, Robin Smith of Video Action. You would most certainly be an excellent mentor and are definitely fighting for a really great cause. So thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, look forward to hearing all the good things that happen in the future for you. Thanks so much, Robin. And thank you. This has been great just to have a chance to look back a little bit, right? And to go, yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like that too. Thanks, Robin. Take care. 
Hightower Bethesda is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Bethesda and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Hightower Bethesda and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for related questions.